Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and my podcast is brought to you by my company, We are the publishers of tools and books to help people improve communication in the workplace. If you enjoy my podcast, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast channel. And you can learn more about our tools and books at growstrongleaders.com. I'm so excited to have with me today as my guest, Akeem Novak. Akeem, welcome to my show. Oh, I'm, I'm equally excited to be with you, Meredith. We've spoken before, and uh, you're a master conversationalist, so I can't wait to get going. Well, Akeem is both a master conversationalist and amazing writer, and we're going to be discussing one of his books today. But first, I want to give you a more formal introduction to him. He is the founder and president of Brilliant Best love the name. Mm -hmm. In his work as an executive coach, he helps CEOs and C-suite leaders around the world show up with, and I love this too, relaxed authority and amplify their impact. He's a TEDx speaker, the author of three books, and the host of the My Fourth Act podcast, where I'm honored to have been a guest and experienced Akeem's what I like to call loving curiosity. There's just Mm -hmm. such a warmth in every conversation and intelligence. It's just an amazing combination as my listeners are going to discover today. And we're going to be focusing our conversation on Akeem's latest book called The Moment, a practical guide to creating a mindful life in a distracted world. How important is that? (laughs) I I believe it is. So distracted and being mindful is such a challenge. I I can hardly wait to get into this. Before we do, I want my audience to get a greater appreciation though of the eclectic journey you have had in your life because you have done so many different things. This is where that curiosity of yours Mm -hmm. has led you on many different adventures. So let's talk about that so folks have the context for everything else we'll be discussing. Oh, thank you for opening that door, Meredith. Uh the first thing that comes to mind, you know, is I, I'm an international soul. I, I, I'm a German citizen. My first name is pronounced Achim in Germany, but I grew up all over the world. I, my, my parents traveled. I grew up in Portugal, Turkey, came to this country when I was 16. In the early 90s, I left New York for a year to live on a tiny island in the Caribbean, Tobago, where I became a pretty damn good windsurfer. And, uh, and through my professional life, I've been all over the world. So, so that is important to me. And the only other thing I want to add, my dad was an architect who was really into, into archaeology. 
So when we lived in the Middle East, I visited, and I'm not exaggerating, pretty much every ruin in the Middle East with dad, who would take us out of school every six weeks to just go traveling. So that developed a curiosity for ancient cultures, current cultures, how people lived, and that continues to interest me now. Well, the other thing I remember you talking about in your book was with your dad being an architect, you used mm -hmm. to spend hours just studying the plans that he created. So, you know, it, you, you manifested that curiosity <laughs> at a very early age, it seems to me. Yes. I also want to get a sense of what was it that caused you to decide to write these three books that you've written, and in particular, this latest one yeah. on the moment? I think it takes a certain amount of chutzpah to say that I, I have something to add to a body of knowledge that already other people have written about. And I'll mention my first book, and then this one, like first book is, was a, it's a book called Power Speaking, The Art of the Exceptional Public Speaker. And, uh, and that was written on a dare. I was talking to a friend. He just gotten a book deal to write a book on improvisational acting. And I thought to myself, darn it. If he can get a book deal, I can get a book deal. And I said, I want to write about public speaking. And then I just thought, what do I have to add here? So get to this book here. I mean, I, I'm interested in mindfulness. And I'm interested in ancient knowledge and wisdom because a lot of mindful practices come from older spiritual traditions. However, as I, as I was immersed in this world, I felt like many of the discussions were, for Akeem's taste, overly brainy, overly scientific. Almost, they almost took the joy out of it for me uh, and some of the writing. So I wanted to write simply and I wanted to draw on what I knew from my first career as a theater director and what actors know about being present. I think that wasn't infused in some of the other writing. And as a writing exercise, I have a writer whose work I greatly admire, Tom Asacker. He wrote a book called The Business of Belief. And everything was told in these little vignettes and stories. There'd be a vignette here, one there, a little piece. And it all sort of accumulated of its own. And I said, I love that book, and I want to write a book like Tom Asecker wrote. <laughs> so that was the, the, the writing exercise of this book is no long chapters. You know, it's, it's, it's nugget-sized, so you can put it next to your bed. And let me read this little nugget and chew on it, and, and everything stands on its own, but also is connected. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that was one of the things I so enjoyed about it. And uh, I want to go into detail of certain aspects of it because mm -hmm. there are four keys just to, you know, emphasize the point you just made with the four keys. Each of those has a kind of an overview explanation, but then I loved the various stories, personal mm -hmm. stories. Um, you put us in the scene. And I think that has so much to do with your experience, you know, yeah. with acting and directing your ability to create this scene in the present moment. So to me, your book just brought home this whole idea of the moment because we were in these moments with you. So I just want to affirm how powerful I thought that was and how effective it was because it caused the lessons to stick 
with me. So let's start by sharing the four keys that you describe in your book and look at more deeply, I guess, each one, because we won't have time to go into too much depth, but um, I want my listeners to get a taste of it. So they'll say, I got to get this book. It's so wonderful. And yet I want them to have some nuggets to take with them. Sure. I, the first key, I call it awaken the senses. And I, I think it instinctively makes sense is the more richly we taste, see, sense, smell, everything, the more fully we, we appreciate life around us and in us. The reason I wanted to stress this in, in some metaphysical reading, the sense is that the more we are attached to earthly things, the less spiritually evolved we are. Almost like the idea that if we're more evolved, we're more detached from the sensual pleasure stimuli or seductions. And I don't subscribe to that. So that was the impulse for that one. The second one, uh, and I have the book in front of me. It's it's funny because I, I, I looked it over before we were talking to make sure I was representing my own writing properly. I crave meaning, you know, and we could spend hours just talking about how we make meaning and how we know meaning. And the point I, I want to make is very often we make meaning in hindsight. You know, like five years later, we go back to, oh, that's what happened there. And, and I know and I understand what it means in this history of my life. And I propose that people who are more fully present in the moment have a deeper sense in the moment what the meaning might be. I, I'm, a, I'm a, for me, sensing energy and having a conscious experience of energy was life-changing. And I believe that people who live more fully are more in tune with energy within themselves. They receive more energy from others and they're able to engage in a, in a richer flow of energy. And there's lots of stuff within that, but I, I, it behooves us to, to have a conscious experience of energy. I love the phrase, I use wave riding the energy. I'm a water person. So mm-hmm. riding an energetic wave, which means we notice energy and we choose to ride it. And the last one uh, is how do we make time stand still? It's, often we say slowing down, but at, at, at its best, and, and I, 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 I'm a big fan of the work of Mihal Yitzchikant Mihal Yu writes about flow, the psychology of optimal experience. And when we are in flow, time stands still and our experience of the moment is transcendent. And, and, and there are specific ways of getting closer to all of these things. So mm-hmm. let me stop here. Yeah, that's great because each one of those to me uh, well, obviously with the focus of your book too, it's just reinforcing the points you want to make about yeah. paying attention. Yes. And I loved the first one about being more aware of the senses, because I think we can really lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I've done to, I guess, uh, emphasize that for myself is my bird watching hobby yes. that I've had for the last 20 <laughs> years. Because not only am I looking with my eyes, but I'm also hearing a lot Yeah. Um, because we're listening for their calls, their songs, because a lot of birds don't like to show themselves. And so 
tuning into those various senses, but I think we get so busy. And that's really one of the key things I would like to, you know, encourage my listeners, and we're going to get to this one too, of slowing down and just really paying attention to these points Mm -hmm. that Akeem is making today, because it can make a difference in how you treat each of the moments in your day. And so with the senses, I loved your description about actors and how actors train in order to become more aware of the senses. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more Mm -hmm. about that because that's something that I don't, well, most of us have never had actor training. And so we're not familiar with what they go through to really notice these details. What actors learn is that um, the senses are the connections to our emotions and our feelings. Meaning if I sense more, I will feel more. Um, I... I, I tell a very simple story in the book, and it's a good example. And it's a Florida example. I'm a Floridian. But there is a famous bridge called the Seven Mile Bridge, you know, that uh, has been featured in the movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I just remember one moment where I had been at the beach, and I'm, and I'm driving in my car, and I have a little turquoise mini roadster, and the song by Hozier comes on, Take Me to Church, which is a a very emotional song that I love. And I think because of seeing the air and hearing an emotional song and the color of my car, which is blue, suddenly I was flashing again on a moment of just a scarf my mother had been wearing when she was sitting in the same car with me five years ago. So, you know, and and seeing the scarf of my mother is the emotional connection to that. And my mother then, the scarf, I remembered a movie theater in Bonn, Germany, where I saw True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis with mom and dad driving across the same bridge. So all of those things are connected, but the sensory moments of the car connect me to my mother, uh, seeing parts of her connect me to sitting in the movie theater. So those are beautiful emotional connections, but they're triggered by sensory stimuli. And, and if we don't experience the senses fully, we're sensorially deprived a little bit, which means we're also emotionally deprived a little bit. Such an important uh, point. And I think what I was imagining as I was listening to you describe that example is how often we experience something and it triggers yeah. a memory, but we don't take the time as you did to really ponder where did that come from yeah, and And, connect it. And uh, let me offer one other actor example, but then I want to learn it, it, attach it to something very practical that you all can use. Um, If an actor is in a show on Broadway and she or he has a scene, you know, uh, in every play where something emotional happens, they have to cry, right? And, you're, you know, you're acting with a wonderful actor, but, you know, you don't necessarily love that person. You don't have the same feelings with that person. So actors often, depending on how they're trained, they may in that moment when they're supposed to feel sad, um, 
they're in the scene, but they may flash on an image or something that's connected to a sad moment in their own lives, and that will evoke the emotion. Mm. You know, so it, it's called a sensory substitution. So actors are trained in how to do that. Conversely, in the in a, in a very positive way, if any of our listeners are familiar with anchoring techniques, which come from neuro linguistic programming, uh, for example. The song I mentioned earlier, Take Me to Church by Hozier, it just makes me feel good in every time I hear it. So the way you would use it in real life, if that song makes you feel happy, uh, you might take an elevator right up to a meeting and you can literally have listened to that song and be plugged into the actual song or you imagine hearing the song. It, it will change how you feel and you will step into that meeting uh, infused by the emotions that the song evoked, and you have consciously chosen it. Again, you've chosen a sensory cue, in this case, music, to infuse you with a desired state of being. Mm-hmm. Great example. I've, I've found that to be the case. And I think when we think about uh, you know, an important meeting or call or mm-hmm. a presentation to... Think about what elements could I um, surround myself with? Exactly. With each of the different senses to try to bring that up. There's a quote. I mean, this is one of your quotes from the book that I just loved. And I want you to talk a little bit about why this is true. You said, Mm -hmm. simple appreciation is the heart and soul of living in the moment simple appreciation. And you said, and it always starts with the senses. So explain why that is true. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of the best example to offer. And let me, since we're talking about the moment, let me get to my present moment. I'm sitting in the kitchen of uh, my house in Hollywood, Florida. I work in this kitchen often. I'm looking out at, I have a beautiful lap pool. I see it every day. I don't always consciously appreciate this lap pool, you know, but if I pause for a moment and look at it, it's a beautiful day right now. The, the pool crew was here this morning to clean it. They come once a week. So it's sparkling clean. It has a shimmering light to it. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at an object that is, inherently easy to appreciate. And we have the choice to look at at anything that is maybe less apparently beautiful and choose to appreciate the thing of beauty in it because it's that old cliche, beauty is an eye of the beholder. That's our choice. And it will change how we feel inside when we do that, which brings us back to the things that actors do. You know, they make choices about how they feel on a movie set or, or on a stage. But isn't it wonderful to be able to do that and say, I have a choice in how I feel and the senses are an anchor to how we feel. Mm. One of my favorite stories was around the dolphins. Yeah. And this woman um, who's a friend of yours who, who helps people who suffer from PTSD and mm. other trauma to take this trip to swim with the dolphins. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about what is the magic of that? How is that (laughs) connecting them 
to the senses and has a healing effect for them. I've asked Stephanie von Falois is the name of the dolphin therapist. She's a German woman based in Miami and does a lot of uh, what's commonly called dolphin therapy in, in different dolphin centers in the Caribbean. I've asked her this question many times. She says, there are hypotheses, but we just don't know. But on the deepest level relating it is the feeling is that touching a dolphin, it's touch, the connection of touch to an animal uh, that doesn't attack you, that holds you, that lets you be. So if you've been traumatized, can be a beautiful experience of surrendering and touch is the powerful experience and the common lore is that 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 dolphins has have a deep soul energy that people can sense when they're with them so the healing part is that you can almost give some of your troubles to this animal through touch who becomes your healer Mm. now that's the beauty of it but that's the touching that's the sensory part. And, and I, I, I am, have not been a patient with dolphins, but I would imagine in light of what we just spoke about, for the rest of their lives, the individuals that engage with the dolphins, they will remember the touch. They will remember what it feels like. And it will be a beautiful memory for them. Mm-hmm. And the ability to recall that mm-hmm. when they're... N- out of that particular moment, that experience. And so when you are working with your clients, um, if they have a specific trauma or, you know, negative past experience, is there a kind of a a lesson to take from the dolphins without having the dolphin (laughs) experience that might be um, valuable for my listeners? It's such a juicy question. And the first thing I would say, as a coach, I don't go into ancient trauma with my clients. If I have a sense that it's there, I will suggest that you work with somebody who's a specialist in it. Um, I do, however, with all my clients, talk about anchoring techniques, which I think of as the corporate equivalent of actor training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's very much the same. And I will offer, and I'll offer an example right now of something. I'll give you one example, another one that I do. It's often called affirmation, but it's for, for anybody who is stimulated by language. And if language has energy for you, you know, this is something Akeem says to himself when he wants to put himself in a good mood. I will say, I am a vibrant vehicle of light and love. Now, you might listen to this go, God, that's cheesy. I would never say that to myself. But allow me to break it down for you. I've learned through experience that vibrant is a positive trigger word for me. Light is a positive trigger word. Love is. So this has been, for me, tested over several decades. You know, if I say that to me quietly a few times over, remember, language is, is, is stimulation of my mind. And I'm choosing words that powerfully stimulate me. They change how I feel and put me in an optimal state. And it works every time. I just need to remember to do it. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. my job. Well, I love that because, as you know, because we talked about it in my interview with you, I have a purpose statement. 
I know that you I do. say yeah. often, and those words were all chosen very carefully. I yeah. now have declarations that I say yeah. that put me in a particular state. I'll, I'll just share one quick one. I am absolute calmness, clarity, and confidence. That's nice. one of the things that it, and it has a centering effect for me mm. in so that when I'm in a situation that requires any or all of those, yeah. I'm able to say that and get in that state. So I, I, it, it isn't cheesy at all. I think yeah. all of us need to identify what are the words that resonate with us that cause us to feel yeah. a positive way that can yeah. help us. Yeah. Well, that leads me to the second a key, which I just love because I'm all about finding meaning is to mm-hmm. create meaning. Yeah. And so let's, let's review a little bit about what's the role of meaning in our experience of a moment. Cause you talked earlier yeah. about sometimes we don't realize mm-hmm. the meaning until later. Sometimes we can mm-hmm. appreciate it while we're going through it. So yeah. why is that so important in the context of making the most of a moment. Yeah. Let me offer a very common example that I think all of us have experienced. And I think of actually a social encounter I had just two months ago. I met a woman named Deborah. At, I, I belong to a book club. We read books, Friday nights we read books and, and a friend brought Deborah. Well, within, within two minutes, I went, I went in my mind, gosh, I love talking to Deborah, but the deeper meaning, and this is not something I consciously thought was, Deborah will be a friend for life. That sense that I'm not just having a good time chatting to her. And, and this doesn't mean I'm going to, damn it, make her my friend. I'm not going to force her to be my friend. No, this, this, this knowing that this woman will be a friend for life. No, and that's, that's meaning presenting itself in the moment. And by me knowing it in the moment, it helps me to savor the moment even more. And not every moment has to have this deep meaning to it. But I suggest that, and this builds beautifully on the senses, the more we fine-tune our experience of the senses, the more of these meaning-making experiences we're going to have in the moment. And I'm giving you a very positive example but on the negative side, it could be if you're talking to somebody and there's that voice that says, this person is not your friend. We've all had that moment as well, right? This person is not your friend. So the ability to hear that voice or sense that, because that's another meaning in the moment. And it can be misconstrued as fear, but it's actually a meaning making in the moment that we can choose to honor. That's so important. And it ties in with a word that you introduced that I was not familiar with. And I want to have you, I guess, define it and then Mm. talk about how we can recognize it because this is so important. It's Prajna. Prajna. P-R-A-J-N-A. For those of my listeners who are not familiar with it, help us understand what that is and why it's so important. Prajna comes from Sanskrit, you know, and the closest American equivalent would be, I would say, 
we, you know, we talk about trusting your intuition or trusting your gut. And, and I believe in both of those. But prajna for me is, is a code word for any form of wisdom that wants to come through and my ability to notice the signals and the forms in which it wants to present itself. Um, for, for some of us, and I've had moments where I'm walking down the street and suddenly a voice says something to me uh, and I go, isn't that interesting? Uh, and there's some meaning coming through or other people have it by, you know, you, you walk down the street and you see a billboard and it's just a billboard for some commercial product, but you read the language and it instantly has meaning to you for something that's going on for you emotionally in the moment. And that billboard and the language in it helps you understand more deeply what you're experiencing, you know? And so that's a form of, that's, that billboard is prajna talking to you. Um, and, and, and our job is to, to learn the many different ways in which, which wisdom talks to us. And I think the way it does it is different for different people, but our, our job is to learn and to notice, and I would say to honor that wisdom. Mm-hmm. I would think that our society really, you know, valuing and emphasizing logic, rational mm-hmm. thinking tends to repress our ability to hear and pay attention to that wisdom. So what, what is one specific thing we could do to kind of raise our awareness level so we're able to hear it more? Well, the, the, big, the big code word, which is the, the, the subtitle of this book, is, is learning to be more mindful. Mindful means slowing down, not rushing through things, having the time to breathe more deeply and having a time to pay attention to all signals outside and, and within and allow them to be there. And then be open to the possibility that those signals could be presenting interesting information or meaning that we would otherwise miss. And I would say, by not missing these, we will make more enlightened choices and continue to craft a life that has more of those meanings because we're not rushing through it. And it, it builds on itself in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of times in the past where my mind, the inner wisdom was trying to speak and kind of raise a red flag and say, um, caution, caution. <laughs> and there were times that I ignored that and paid a price for it. Yeah. And so I think that the more we can learn to recognize, because you make an important distinction in your book around that wisdom and our internal chatter yeah. and the noise yeah. And so what are some ways to help us distinguish between those two? Well, when I talk about a voice giving helpful information, that's not a, it's not a voice, it's not that. It's just, it's a moment. It's clear. I heard it. Uh, it's very different from constant chatter. Um, 
but we don't hear any of it if we don't slow down. I want to go back to the slowing down. I, since I'm in the middle of just finishing work on a, on a new website, and, and I use this quote by Rumi, the famous mystic poet that many people know and rightfully love, and I use this on my LinkedIn profile too, and it's very sure it says, there is a voice that doesn't speak, listen. And, and even though I talked about voice, it talks about all the things that are not voice. Listen, and listen is a code word for, for notice, for pay attention, to allow, allow yourself to receive it, to not doubt it. Um, I, since you and I are both podcast hosts, you know, I have so many wonderful guests on my podcast who part of their their moving on to the next stage in life was learning to hear the voices within that were suggesting something else and no longer choosing to push it aside. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I think everyone who listens to us has had that experience. Sure. And if the voices don't fit our current narrative of what our life should look like, then there is a discord and we need to sort of figure out what we do about that. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I loved in that particular section was around the micro um, moments the, of love. And, um, and yes. of course, that goes back to, you know, how do we make something more meaningful in the moment and bring this sense yeah. of love to it? So just share that fun example mm-hmm. of the toll booth, because I yes. just think that's such a it'll help people think about how can I bring that to what could otherwise be forgettable moments. So let me offer the concept and then I'll give you an example. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Barbara Fredrickson. She's a well-known positive psychologist. She wrote a book called Love 2.0, which I highly recommend. And it it. seeks, seeks to divorce the notion of love from romantic love to the possibility that we can have little moments of love in everyday, everyday moments. She calls them micro moments of love. So this is the little story that you're referring to. I, I was driving from Naples on the West coast of Florida over to the East coast of Florida where I live. And you drive through something called Alligator Alley and there's a little toll booth. And I pull up to the toll booth and, and you pay like $3 or something. And this is an old school toll booth. There's a human being there. And I remember, um, it's a woman of a certain age. She's wearing these big sunglasses because it's Florida and it's sunny. And, uh, and I just look at her and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a playful mood. And I say to her, you look like an Italian movie star. And she giggles. So I can tell she enjoys this comment. Um, and then she says, oh, don't I wish. And then I say, well, maybe you're just here rehearsing for your next part. And she laughs and she gives and she gives me some change back and I pull away. So this moment took like 20 seconds. She's a total stranger. I will never see her again. But in that moment, I felt good making her feel good. I was delighted by her sense of delight. And I know we both, and I felt good the entire rest of the drive. I had this afterglow of this, what I call a micro moment of love with a toll booth attendant who I would never see again. And we all have the possibility to create these moments. I mean, that was by choice to end that moment. She gave a signal that she was open to play. If she wasn't, I wouldn't have continued. So it's a co-created moment. You can't Mm -hmm. force it. 
but the co-creation was there. And I know that she must have felt good for the rest of the day. I don't have a doubt. Yes, that it just, I think that story stayed with me because it just demonstrated to me again, the power of uh, being aware of the moment and offering up a comment that could enrich someone's life in some way, mm-hmm. however small it might seem at that time. <clears throat> and yet how powerful it can be in terms yeah. of its lasting effect. And mm-hmm. there are so many things we can do with the people in our lives now where we can demonstrate that if we just take the time to, to, to um, contribute that. So let's move on to this um, wave ride energy, as you call it. First, you have to explain what that term means and uh, why that is so important. You alluded to it earlier, but I want you to, you know, explain that a little bit more. Well, on the, on the simplest level, let's say if you're approaching me with let's say a high degree of enthusiasm and energy, I have the option to join you there, even, I may, even though I may not be feeling equally energetic. You know, it's, we often call it mirroring and matching. Or I can block it, you know, and I'd say joining is always preferable to blocking. And the joining part is, it's easy to join another person's energy if we're energetically on the same wavelength, if we use that metaphor. But we have the option of acting as if and joining it, even if it's not there. And magically, we'll be, we will be riding the wave with that person for a while. And, and like all waves do, they will change of their own anyway. And that's the beautiful part. But that's that the choice is to notice the wave. And the second choice is to then decide to join the wave. I like that. Now... One of the other things in this concept of energy, you mm-hmm. were talking about big energy, yes. which always appeals to me. You know, us high <laughs> achievers love to think about what's the big thing here. So what do you mean about activating uh, the big energy or life force? Yeah. Uh, in, in other cultures and in, in more Eastern traditions called chi or ki, there's actually a, a word for that represents big energy. We don't have that in English, which sometimes saddens me because it, I believe they're almost, we're almost culturally disconnected from knowing that big energy, which has language in, in uh, more Eastern Asian cultures. And it, it's, it's called something um, the, the most, the most, popular way of accessing it is I would say most people these days have heard whether you've studied it about the chakras which are seven energy centers that are along our spines and they have different colors associated with them and they're connected to different sources of energy within us um, so there's a way of working with somebody is studying about how how do I access these energy sources but the biggest one uh, for me, is, is the top chakra, which is at the top of the head. And to me, that's where the energy of, I'm going to get a little, little mystical now, the energy of, of the universe, of the heavens, um, the divine, whatever language you comes in. And as we begin to, and I'm talking about practices that are, might be considered esoteric in the West, but are 
about as unesoteric as you can imagine in most part of the world. As you learn to open the chakras, and, and I've had experience of just streams of light flooding into me like I'm under a waterfall, but it's light flooding in. Uh, and then my experience of the world changes because I know that that's another reality, that energy is powerful. Um, and the more I, I fill myself with that energy, people will sense it and they will receive it. On, if I could give a very specific example, if you go like, how do I access this? Uh, I have sent many of my clients to yoga classes because yoga is about breathing fully into the body, which is about opening up more of who we really are. There are also practices like Tai Chi that many listeners may be familiar with. Tai Chi is about literally moving energy around. So there are practices that are available that are very easily accessed these days. You can find great teachers and it will change how you experience energy. You will experience more energy, which in turn will help you to more deeply connect energetically with others. So then nothing but benefits to this in my mind. Mm -hmm. Those are all so good. And I'm thinking about our time. I'm going to shift now to the fourth, <laughs> do. which ties in with what you were talking about with yoga, which of course, the fourth one is the one that I and probably <laughs> many others go, oh man, I, I could use more of that because it's this idea of making time stand still, which includes slowing down and fully surrendering to the present Yes, to talk about, which is challenging for those of us that, you know, are doers. <laughs> we, we just feel like it's wasting time, you know, to slow down and, and, and not be doing something productive. Yeah. And that goes back again to our, I think our Western culture. So talk yeah. a little bit about mm. some of the things you recommend for slowing down and making time stand still. Well, slowing down and making time stand still can be the same, but they don't have to be. And I trust that the benefits of slowing down are clear. We touched on it already a little bit. But let me talk about uh, the experience of full immersion, which is perfect for doers. I'm speaking to a doer like you. Mihaly Csikszent Mihaly is one of the best known um, positive psychologists. And he's sort of the guru of creating flow experiences. He wrote a wonderful book called Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience. So flow would be described as being so fully engaged in an activity that you lose track of time. You're not checking your watch. You are so, so richly enjoying what you're doing. And the question always is, well, so how do we get into a flow experience? Um, and I want to use the analogy of, of playing tennis. Uh, I can have a lot of fun playing with somebody who's at my same level and we might have a really good game. If I play with somebody who's a level or two less skilled than I am, I might get really bored after a while. What Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi purports is that if you want to get into a flow state, which is the deepest engagement in your tennis game, play with somebody who's just a little better than you. If she, she or he is too good, you're going to get frustrated because you're going to get, you're going to get whooped, right? <laughs> you're not going to enjoy it. But so flow happens when there is a little bit of challenge involved. 
you know, we have to stretch ourselves. So for a doer, that's great. If the stretch is too hard, we get frustrated, we beat ourselves up emotionally, and it doesn't feel good. But, you know, that common saying is about, about surround yourselves by people who are uh, a little better at everything that you're doing. That's kind of really good advice, because if they want to engage with you, you will be pulled into flow experiences in the best kind of sense. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, in other words, we can't force it. We, we can't. <laughs> we, and, go ahead. And let me add this. I, the common mistake people make is that we, we, we confuse flow with bliss or we think uh, my perfect moment is lying on the beach, closing my eyes and doing nothing. And most of us, after, after an hour of that, are bored out of our minds, you know? So we're not in a flow state because we're actually not engaged with much of anything. You know, after a while, you know, we're done with the sun, uh, feeling the sun on our body. So for active people, and I urge you to read uh, Chikchan Mihaly's book, it's a great primer. And, and he pulls a lot on what creative people do, artists do. Artists are good at this. But what can we learn from artists who tend to be fully engaged in what they're doing and mm-hmm. apply it to any of our non-artistic endeavors? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in wrapping up that section, there was something that you talked about that, again, is a challenge for those of us that fill our schedules, mm-hmm. unobligated yeah. time. So what do you mean by that? And what could uh, somebody do to, to try to I want to say schedule that, but you even said schedule an obligated time to make sure you get it. It's a really radical concept and it's very simple. Um, If you, if if you give yourself one day of the week and a lot of us think we take a day off, but on the day off, we then decide we're going to go shopping. We're going to get a massage. We might do all sorts of things that are actually really fun things to do but suddenly the day off is filled. So unobligated time, which is a, a deep way of being present with yourself, consider the possibility if Saturday is your day of unobligated time, meaning you have made no plans, you're not working, wake up Saturday morning, pay attention to how you feel, pay attention to what your body is telling you or your mind, and make choices only then, moment by moment, about how you will spend your time. And for most of us, that is really hard to do. But when we do, wow. And giving us as permission to maybe do nothing or maybe watch three hours of really stupid television, whatever that may be, but let it unfold in the moment without having it pre-planned. And I'm I'm in the group for who this is really hard. So I wrote about it, but I'm not saying this is easy, Meredith. (laughs) Well, all the things we've talked about, I think, you know, some of my listeners will go, oh, I've got that nailed, but this is something I could work on. And so I would just like to conclude kind of as a summary to encourage my listeners, number one, to get your book and number two, when you think about the moment, what is it that you individually can do to really experience every moment more fully? 
because I think that's really, to me, the biggest takeaway from your book. We get so busy with things yeah. that we don't allow ourselves to really pay attention and and be aware of everything we could be absorbing yeah. in any given moment or even contributing and creating yeah. in a given moment. So I want to thank you so much, Akeem, for writing that book, for coming here today and sharing this wisdom. And I would love for you to tell my listeners how they can connect with you, learn more about you and get copies of your book. Thank you so much for that, that opening. Uh, my books are all available on Amazon. I have multiple books out. So Achim Novak is N-O-W-A-K. I, I am, as I mentioned earlier, I'm by the time this goes live, I, I will be on a new web Website is simply achimnovak.com, where uh, you can find my books, but also you can find my podcast, My Fourth Act. And I have a, have a weekly Monday morning message uh, full of practical tips about, and this is very granular stuff about how, how to manage every moment in our professional relationships. That's free. You can sign up for it. You see samples. You can read all of that. So achinovak.com gives you all of that. Excellent. And I highly recommend people subscribe to your podcast. My fourth act is filled with very interesting conversations with people who have had fascinating lives and are now exploring a new dimension to it. So I think it opens the door for people to think creatively about their own lives. Mm -hmm. Akeem, you are just such a special person. I want to thank you for how you show up in the world and the brilliance you bring with your insights and, and the wisdom you share so freely. Well, I'm throwing everything you said right back at you, Meredith. This was a complete pleasure and, uh, Thank you for the conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.